There's a lot of talk about what kindness really looks like these days. Now, don't get me wrong. I am someone who is deeply passionate about kindness, true kindness. I mean, one of my most important goals as a parent is to raise kind and compassionate kids because it matters. But kindness, that confetti kindness, which is great, can also be fleeting. And when we in many ways take it for granted, the kindness we think we're throwing around can actually be very surface level or maybe even in some cases harmful. So what does real, true, deep kindness really look like? Well, my guest today is on a mission to call all of us to action to exhibit deep kindness. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com. And this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just an incredible person who's trying to make a positive impact, not only through their personal life, but also with their career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact wherever you are. My guest this week is Houston Craft. Houston is a speaker, author, and kindness advocate who has spoken at over 600 schools or events internationally. In 2016, he co-founded Character Strong, curriculum and trainings that help teach social and emotional skills. To date, they've worked with over 2,500 schools globally, serving over 2 million students. In 2019, his face was actually featured on Lay's Barbecue Chip Bags as someone who helps spread smiles. And this year in 2020, his first book, Deep Kindness, was released. Deep Kindness is a book that is a call to action, beckoning us to a deeper understanding of kindness. It calls readers to move past that surface level confetti kindness marked by cutesy phrases and empty gestures. Instead, Craft reveals deep kindness is an ever-growing skill set rooted in empathy, perspective-taking, resilience, courage, and forgiveness. Featuring a 30-act starter plan, journal prompts, and practical exercises, deep kindness dives into the types of kindness the world needs most today, taking an honest look at the gap between our belief in kindness and our ability to practice it well. Houston's hero is his mom, and his best life lesson is to hug like you mean it. Obviously, during COVID-19, you should do it from six feet apart, but you know what I'm saying. (laughs) I had the best conversation with Houston. He is really funny, and he just had such incredible insights about what deep kindness looks like today. I know you're going to love this conversation, but really quick, before I get to my conversation with Houston, I just want to thank a few of our partners of the show who helped to make it happen. And the first one I want to thank is Simple Switch. Now, Simple Switch is no stranger to this podcast. I've had the founder, Rachel Kois, on the show, and they are just such an incredible supporter of this show. And I love that this is a website that you can go to to get literally everything. And that is so applicable this holiday season. And so I have Rachel here with me to kind of share what Simple Switch is offering this holiday season. Take it away, Rachel. Hey, Molly. Thanks so much for having me on. 
Obviously the holidays are this really special time where we get to love the people in our life, especially in 2020, get to kind of show people some extra love. It's also such a time of consumerism and confusion about company ethics. So we really try to be that one-stop shop where you can get something for, you know, your 90 year old grandfather and also the friend in your life who just really needs to pick me up this Christmas. So I hope that you guys will uh, join us there. We've got more than 3000 products. Every single product has some sort of environmental or social impact. And we're really excited to have you. Yes, and Simple Switch is offering an incredible, incredible special deal just for Business with Purpose podcast listeners. So you can go to simpleswitch.org and use the coupon code Purchase with Purpose for 20% off your order. 20% off, which is just amazing. So go to Simple we Switch. Love it. I know, it's amazing. Go to simpleswitch.org, use that coupon code Purchase with Purpose, get 20% off your order. Get all of the shopping done off of your list and you are going to be set this holiday season. Now, are you looking for an ethical gift for the plant lover in your life? Or how about a crazy cat, lady ant, coffee enthusiast, earring adoring a mother-in-law? Well, this Christmas, ethical shopping couldn't be easier. Amazuma will wrap and even send a handwritten note with your gift for you. Head on over to shopwithmolly.com for a special discount. Now on to my conversation with Houston. Houston, welcome to the Business with Purpose podcast. How are you doing today? Holly, I feel like we have overcome all obstacles just to be here talking today. All obstacles. (laughs) I am telling you, the technology uh, gods were just not out to support to let me be great this morning between my bluetooth keyboard not working my adobe audition not loading and just batteries dying and you know it's just what a time to be alive truly yeah yeah the blue the the bluetooth greek god i'm sure there's some sort of mythology around his temperament i'm not sure (laughs) yes yes um, well, I so that just means usually what it means when we have some kind of like technological issues that are standing between us and success, that just means that our conversation is going to be that much better. So I'm really pumped about this. Houston, I'm going to have you do what all my guests do, and that's give us the Houston 101. So tell us who you are, what you do, and how you got to where you are today. I wonder what percentage of guests feel like this is like a terrifying task. Oh, 97%. (laughs) Okay, good. I for once fall in the majority. Uh, I, I find, yeah, my, the Houston 101, I was born in Maine. Uh, and I moved to Seattle. Was it a rainy? Was it a rainy there. day? <laughs> it was a rainy afternoon. That's a good question. I don't know. It was. It was actually late in the evening. <laughs> I'm six minutes. I learned this last year. I'm six minutes into Gemini. I lived my whole life as a Taurus. Oh my! Can you imagine, Molly? Oh my gosh! Finding been out li- that news. You've been living your life as a, it's been a lie. Everything's been a lie. Yeah. You don't even know what's true yeah. anymore. <laughs> it's true. I had to overcome a lot of confusion. <laughs> To re-identify. So there's a, there's the 101 pre that news, and yeah. then there's the 101 about Houston after that news. <laughs> yes. No, I grew up. I grew up in Washington. I was an I'm an only child, and I I'm super lucky that I have uh, parents that they they separated when I was in my senior year of high school. But mm. it's easy to take for granted, especially when you're younger, uh, having people that support literally whatever dream I dreamed of. Yeah. You know? I was like, I want to be a magician. They're like, great. <laughs> Let's like, go see magic shows. <laughs> like, I'm going to be 
a really talented mu- magician. They're like, okay, well, keep trying. Aww. And I found um, I was really passionate about soccer growing up. Broke my ankle my freshman year of high school. Mm. And um, in lieu of playing soccer that season, my English teacher, who was also the theater director, invited me to be a part of the musical, the high school musical. Ooh, what was it? What was the musical? Called Once Upon a Mattress. Yes, I I was a theater person growing up, so. (laughs) I see the excitement. You know that one. Um, Yeah, every theater kid knows that. So (laughs) I was a theater choir kid growing up. That's incredible. So I I had no idea. I knew it was a parody of The Princess and the Pea. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was like, Mrs. Browning, I don't sing. She's like, don't worry. There is a part where there's a mute king where you don't have to sing at all. I was like, I guess I could give this a shot. I'm on crutches. Like, I'm not playing soccer. So I show up to the audition. She makes me sing Happy Birthday, which is a harder song than people give it credit for. <laughs> you know this. It's hard. And I just, I, I, that is emblazoned in my memory. <laughs> and uh, But I got the part because I didn't have to sing. And I fell in love. I fell in love with storytelling. I fell in love with the collaborative process of theater. Uh, and I ended up doing it all the way through college. And I had sort of in college, you know, in high school as well, I got involved in student leadership. It's a pretty big transformative piece of me. Yeah. And I got to college and I had this sort of moment after taking a year off of school. I'm like, do I want to go into acting? Do I want to go into some form of leadership? And I got in touch with this guy who spoke in schools, who got to go into schools and like, quote unquote, be on stage and tell stories. But his stories were about leadership and about compassion and kindness. And I was like, this is what I want to do. Yeah. So literally right as I finished college, I started speaking at uh, events. And I loved it. I loved that I, because I was never a very good actor, like <laughs> much like my magician career. <laughs> I, I, I had a hard time being anything but myself. And, uh, but I loved, I loved being on stage and sharing stories. And I loved so much of my narrative was shaped by stories that were shared with me in high school around leadership, around paradigm shifts, right. around what it meant to be a leader, uh, what it meant to serve and, and show up for the world in meaningful ways. Right. Uh, and so right out of college, I started speaking. And to give it the one-on-one version, I spoke for seven years uh, at 600 schools or events or organizations mm. uh, all over the country. I spent a lot of time on airplanes and in Hampton Inns and rental car shuttles. Yeah. And in 2016, I came together with a hero of mine, a guy named John Norlin, who I saw speak mm-hmm. at a leadership camp in high school. He was a teacher for 10 years, an administrator for five years. And we came together and I was like, John, I've been to 600 schools talking about this stuff. You've built an amazing program in your school and in your district. Can we replicate this? Can we do this on a systems level to provide educators and schools with tools to teach you know, empathy and, and compassion and those social emotional skills that we know are the highest indicators of success and contentment right. and fulfillment in our life. Right. And so we started in 2016. And now we work with over 2,500 schools and our content reaches about 2 million kids. Uh, and then I just published my first book. Yes. Came out, uh, not long ago, uh, September of 2020. Uh, and it's called Deep Kindness. And uh, it's really the distillation of all my learning about kindness and compassion um, over the past decade. That's so awesome. And I love that you kind of talk about how this is something that in a lot of ways just sort of happened. 
Um, but you discovered along the way this deep sense of passion for impacting kind of the next generation to live these lives of of deep kindness. And, you know, and so you you created, you co-founded Character Strong. That's the name of the organization. And it's just so important. I mean, I'm a mom of young kids. Um, my daughter is in first grade. My son is in his last year of pre-K. And as a, a, a mom to kids who also in my own head, sometimes doesn't realize that I'm old enough to have my own kids. I'm in my mid 30s. Like I'm, <laughs> you know what I mean? But actually, quick digression. I was having this conversation with somebody the other day is like, at what point in your life does your mental state like catch up with actually how old you are? And I don't know when the answer to that is. Because in my head, I'm like, <laughs> well, I'm still like not that far removed from high school. That was like 20 years ago. <laughs> like, <laughs> a really long time. Yeah. And yeah, when you work with high schoolers, you get humbled about that fact often. <laughs> well, so and the funny thing is, is so my first two years out of college, I was a high school teacher. And oh, so amazing. I mean, I was like 22 when I started teaching high school. But the yeah. thing that makes me feel really old now is like I have kids who I've, I still keep in touch with a lot of my students. And I taught 10th grade English and I have kids who I taught in 10th grade English who are married with kids. And this one makes me feel the most old is one of my teachers always say they don't have their favorite students. That's a lie. Um, one of my favorite Lots, students yeah. <laughs> um, was uh, she was one of my favorite English students. She just graduated with her Ph.D. and is now an English professor at the school where I went to college and got my English degree. And <laughs> so I'm like, wait a second. You're and like some of my English professors are still teaching there. And so I'm like, wait, That's you're wild. like in the teaching department with people that uh, taught me this is I'm it's this too far. I'm too old. This is now. OK, anyway, so I digress. Um, I'm sorry. Let's get whoop, we're going to get back on track. But yeah, so I mean, I, when I think about being um, a mom of young kids and and there's this pressure in society today in this cult in, in this culture that we live in to achieve, 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 succeed, succeed, succeed. How young was your kid when they started to read and how many science things do they know and all these kinds of things. And we are forgetting this vital skill that kids need to have to be empathetic and to be kind and to think of others above themselves and to be humble and, and express humility and be a strong leader. And that is something that my husband and I are just actively trying to instill in our kids. And, you know, at the end of the day, like, actually, I was having a, a phone conference with my my son's teacher yesterday. And she's like, well, what's something you really want to see Amos work on this year? And I was like, he's four. So at the end of the day, like my goal for him is to love God and love others. And if he doesn't do that, like if he knows his letters, but he's a jerk, <laughs> then I've missed my mark. So um, all that to say, what are some of your experiences in as you've been teaching at schools and speaking at schools and developing this curriculum through Character Strong, what are some of the things that you have really found impact kids when it comes to really educating them on being empathetic and kind and all those kinds of things? 
Uh, ooh, so many, so many things. I, I think to start, I think people nod nod their heads to your story, especially if they're family or or care about someone young. And I think that's a little bit a part of like the the danger that I try to unpack in the book a bit is is I think we're all well intentioned people that want what's best, mm-hmm. and I think we don't see. Uh, the small gaps in our language mm. or what we measure and how it impacts our real definition of success for kids and, and how they orient themselves in the world. To give you a, a practical example, probably the m- most frustrating piece of research I know about comes out of Harvard making caring common. Mm. It's a project uh, led up by this researcher, Dr. Richard Weisbord. And he asked families, he said, hey, how, how many of you, which, if you could rank for me, what you would rather your kids be? high-performing, happy, or kind. 80-something percent said, I'd rather my kids be happy or kind over high-performing. Mm. Like, oh, that's encouraging. That's kind of where we all, I think, think we are. Right. And then they asked the kids of those same parents, hey, what do you think your parents want you to be, high-performing, happy, or kind? And the data was the exact opposite. Oh, wow. So what we say is important, and then what we make important, and just sort of the fabric of our culture, right? What we ingrain kids with is different. And it's because so much of what we measure and care about and talk about isn't in line with that sort of value statement. Practical mm-hmm. example, my friend Keith Hawkins is an amazing speaker in, in California. And he was speaking to a room of 4,000 student leaders from around the state. He goes, hey, how many of you in the past month have had a parent or guardian at the end of the day ask you the question, what did you do for others today? Not how was your day? Not what did you learn today? Not how was school? Not how was the test? Not how was practice? but what did you do for others today? And in a room of 4,000 leaders, zero hands went up. Hmm. And so one of the things we talk a lot about at Character Strong is how do we implicitly and explicitly ask that question? We call it the question that's not getting asked because it orients, currently culture orients everything around me, like my grades, my success, mm-hmm. my income, the college I go to, right? Everything is about me. And I think we see an increase in narcissism and have historically over time And we have this weird excuse of like, well, it's the kid's fault. And it's like, no, we built the systems that the kids measure themselves by. So at a school in Texas, top 50 high-performing schools in the the country, they tout themselves on this. I'm walking around this place. It's beautiful. And I'm walking next to a council like, what a cool school you go to. This is incredible. And she's like, pulls me aside. She's like, just so you know, we send a kid to the hospital every week with a suicide attempt, (sighs) self-harm. And I'm like, you say you're one of the top 50 high achieving schools in the country. And I'm like, what metric? Because if your measurement of success doesn't include young people's well-being or mental health, I'm like, we're missing the mark because what we measure matters. And, uh, and I find that there's so many examples of that when we start to self-reflect of what I measure personally in my life as success, what we ask young people to do or be about or show us proof of. Uh, and so infrequently, do we allocate time or questions or, or concerns or conversations towards compassion, right? Towards selflessness. Uh, and so it's no wonder that anxiety is increased, that uh, narcissism is increased. Mm-hmm. And my friend, Dr. Michelle Borba wrote this amazing book called Unselfie. She's been researching empathy for like 30 years. She goes, you know what the biggest barriers are for empathy, fear, anxiety, and narcissism. Yep. As those things increase, Empathy decreases, right? It makes sense. The more worried I am about what's going on in my world, the harder time I have thinking about what's going on in yours. And so I think we, we look at the world and we, sometimes we get frustrated with the younger generations of like, why aren't they more kind? And then we have to, I think, self-reflect to be like, mm-hmm. what culture have we created that they feel like these are the metrics of success that they have to live into? 
because I think we're what we say is important and what we make to be important are two different things. Mm. And Harvard in the study calls it the rhetoric reality gap, which is good, right? The rhetoric, like what we say and the actual reality can be two really distinct things. Yeah. And so I think it's so critical like for families, to, A, to just use that simple question at the dinner table, right? What did you do for others today? But B, also just recognize uh, that gap, self-reflect, right? What's in that gap for me? Yeah. And can we redefine success as individuals and as a family to, yeah. to better orient young people in the world towards compassion? Yeah. Yeah. And the more that you talk about that first, that is all just, oh, man, that's so good. That was if that was for no one else listening, that was for me. But, you know, I th I've had a lot of time for self-reflection and like thinking a lot about this, especially during the pandemic. And when you have kids who are separated from others, they are not able to, you know, go to school and be with their friends. I mean, my daughter, while we're recording this, my daughter's on Zoom doing something for school, you know what I mean? And it's, mm -hmm. um, she's not, she's in first grade. And so in her kindergarten year was cut short. Her last day of school for kindergarten was March 12th. You know what I mean? She lost an entire quarter of her kindergarten year. And right at that time when we had actually, when everything kind of shut down back in March, we had been dealing with a bully in her class and a, a kid in her class who was bullying her and really trying to kind of help her through that because she is just this kid who just she's she's real sensitive but she is mm -hmm. has the biggest heart and this joyful personality and we talked a lot about okay well you know if this kid is saying these things to you or if he's being unkind you know, what are some things you notice about how he interacts with others or how others interact with him? And so we had a lot of those deep conversations and we talked about, you know, and she's like, well, he's made comments that his parents aren't very nice to him. I'm like, okay, so we're starting to get to the root of what's going on here. And so we, we talked a lot about like, I know it's difficult that this kid is being unkind to you. So how should you react to his unkindness. And, and if, you know, if you need to just walk away, if you need to just show him kindness in return, and sometimes you just need to separate yourself, you know, and then at home, we just pray for him. We're going to pray for him and his family because clearly something is going on. But then it made me think about how related to like what you were talking about with that Harvard story is as parents, we talk about, oh, we want our kids to be happy and kind. We want our kids to be happy and kind. Have you been in the comment section of YouTube lately? Have you been in the comment section on Facebook? Like adults, like adults are, we're in the middle of a political season. Like this airs after that, but well, probably, I don't know, you know, <laughs> who knows how long yeah. the political season will go, but like adults are being jerks. So oh, yeah. kids are modeling what they see. So if, mm -hmm. if we ourselves can't be empathetic and kind to others, how on God's green earth are we going to expect our children to do that. I mean, and I don't know if that's something that you've also seen in kind of the research that you've just, just how there's this double standard. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, when we work with schools, we, we say when it comes to school culture change, we're first and foremost in the business of adult behavior change. Yes. It's like hard stop, right? That's if right. we can't figure out how to do it, I think we're going to have a really hard time asking because that's the number one way we teach always is is how we pass it along mm. and uh there's a, a great parable that the question of whether or not it is fully true so, sort of doesn't matter for the 
purpose of the story, but I read it one time in a, a friend's blog about a woman who brought her son to sit down with, with some sort of wise elder. And uh, the mom was like, can you tell my son to stop eating sugar? It's bad for him. We got, he must stop eating sugar. Can you just tell him? I'm his parent. Won't listen to me. And the man says, you have to come back in two weeks. She goes, uh, why? He says, come back in two weeks. So finally, she brings the kid back and walks up. Can you tell my son to stop eating sugar? And he goes, son, you must stop eating sugar. She goes, why couldn't you do that two weeks ago? He goes, two weeks ago, I was eating sugar. And I love just the simplicity of that silly story, but it is so yeah. simple and true. Mm-hmm. So often what we ask of kids, we're not willing to do ourselves. Yeah. One of my favorite paradigm shifts was offered to me by a friend who's a child um, psychologist, child therapist. And she said, you know, when it comes to responding to behavior, so often we get frustrated with how kids are acting. She quoted this guy, Dr. Ross Green, who's also a child psychologist, who has this line in one of his books that's kids do well when they can, mm. which is different than kids do well than they, when they want to, which is sometimes what we think. Right. And he goes, no, the way that young people's brains operate, like they want to please the adults in the world around them. That is their safety net. That is right. what they understand. Right. And he goes, the only reason a kid wouldn't behave in the way that we want them to is for one of two reasons. He says, lagging skills and unsolved problems. Mm. Lagging skills, meaning they don't have the right tools in the toolbox to address the issue that's in front of them. Right. They're under-equipped. Or number two, unsolved problems. There are things going on in their life that they don't know how to handle that are beyond their control. Mm-hmm. They're causing a lot of anguish or pain or you know, big feelings in their life that those feelings are now being taken out somewhere else in their life. And I think that statement is such a beautiful, simple empathy statement we can extend towards other kids, which is like, they're doing well when they can. Right. And if I can see every kid through that lens, it reminds me there's a reason for every behavior. Right. I take a step back and I think to myself, maybe, maybe it's not just kids. Yes. (laughs) Maybe it's people do well when they can. To your point, when does my mental state catch up to my age? Well, yeah, unfortunately, there's no coming of age ceremony where it's like, hey, but here's all the tools that you're missing <laughs> and all those problems you got, they're solved now as you go forth and thrive. <laughs> like, this is not the way it works. <laughs> so, we, if I can look at everyone through that lens, to me, it's just like one more. I think about like the filters with which I can experience the world. The world yeah. can be really frustrating and yeah. overwhelming and anxiety ridden. Mm -hmm. But if I can provide a couple of layers in between me and that person that prevent me from responding just to that person's behavior in that moment, if I can offer that one even small veil of like, what if I were to think about what this person's missing or the unsolved problem in their life? It gives me just like that moment of distance to treat them with a bit more compassion when in the moment I want to do anything but. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I will say legitimately one of the things i mean in a adi- i would say in addition to the influence that my mother had on my life um for sure cuz my mom was had the deepest kindness of anyone i've ever known in my life um she had the most empathy and compassion for people that i've ever seen before so a lot of her modeling impacted me greatly but i will tell you after my mother <laughs> who was probably my great my greatest influence. The other thing that has taught me the most empathy and kindness was being a waitress. <laughs> being a waitress. I for so many years, you know, from late high school through college and even some after college, um 
waiting tables will teach you kindness and empathy like you don't even know because you see a lot happens at a meal. Like there's a there's a reason that I mean, I'm you know, I, I come from a, a Christian worldview. So like there's a lot of stories in the Bible where where people are breaking bread together. Like there's a reason that like eating together is so vital. And when you are waiting on people, you see a lot, you hear a lot, you approach the table during some interesting conversations. But also you see how people treat you in return. And so I can think about so many times where, you know, we had a a server who didn't show up to work and suddenly I now have a table of 20 or a section of 20 tables and it's a Friday night at TGI Fridays. I had 30 pieces of flair and um, that's for a a very small percentage of the population that knows exactly what I'm talking about. Um, But, you know, and I'm in the weeds and I am doing the best I can. I'm working my butt off. And there are the tables that understand that it's going to take me a second to get your refill. And then there are the tables who are real big jerks. And so I realize that this is a grave generalization. But from that, like I've just learned so much empathy and kindness for others. And when I go out to a restaurant now and I'm getting maybe not the greatest of service, I immediately go to like, you know what, maybe this person is having a crappy day. Like maybe somebody didn't show up and now they have 14 tables. And you know what I mean? Like it just it causes you to think about the other person's perspective before your own. Um, and you're right. Like we, we live in just a very self-focused, me-focused, narcissistic culture. And so when we start to shift that, it really does have a, a, a big impact. I'm curious, like in the work that you've done, and again, like you said, you guys do a lot of work with with the adults first, but what is it that that tends to get in the way of us really making progress, strides in this to really being deeply kind to others? Yeah, I think it's uh, one of the more critical questions we could ask ourselves in the current world because it helps us unpack the the gap, right? The rhetoric, Mm -hmm. reality gap, whatever you want to call it, the gap between what we say is good and what we actually are good at in the world. Yep. Yeah, in the book, I I use that question as as the framework. Mm -hmm. The book is not fluffy, right? I think a lot of people pick up a kindness book being like, I'm going to be inspired. Yeah. There's going to be like these stories that move me. And my goal with the book is to be like way more Prickly, because I mm. think that discomfort is the only way we improve meaningfully at the kind of compassion I think the world presently needs. Yeah, which is not the light and fluffy kind. Yep. Don't get me wrong; it doesn't make that thing a bad thing. Right. It just means that if we if we settle for the surface level inspirations, then I think we're missing what we need in order to move the cultural needle forward. Mm. The three categories that get in the way, I think, for me and probably for a lot of people. The first one is is incompetence, right? What are the skills that I don't have? Mm. What are the tools I don't have in my toolbox, right? The lagging skills I wasn't equipped with or, or taught. Right. I think empathy is one of them. To your point with the waiter, waitress example, Yeah. if I don't know how to extend myself into the experience of another person, uh, then I'm going to treat them sort of categorically shallow. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is there's a great podcast by NPR called Invisibilia, which talks about the invisible things that control our life. And there's a whole episode on categories mm. and how our brain, it's the only way we survive, is to put things into boxes of some kind. Mm. So if I looked at a chair and I couldn't categorize that chair between a chair and a bomb, I'd live my whole life just like 
in terror. Yeah. <laughs> so our brain needs needs those sort of boxes to put things in, which is why anytime we provide a label, it creates one level of distance hmm. from us, from each other, especially if that label isn't something that I've lived or experienced. Right. So being white, the label of black is a distancer for me. Now I have to acknowledge that it's real. <laughs> right. I also have to acknowledge that it requires an extra step of imagination, an extra step of perspective taking to try to understand what that lived experience is like. Right. I haven't been a, a waiter or waitress. That's a so in my brain I put anyone who is a server into this bucket. And if I haven't grown up in an environment where we treat those people with respect, mm -hmm. if I feel entitled to a certain kind of service or whatever that situation is for me, then you are not Molly. Yeah. <laughs> you are a server, right? You're categorically right. different from me. Mm. So if I don't have those tools, you know, again, that's my empathy statement for the world is like, it's not okay that you're treating people this way, but I certainly understand why it's happening. Mm -hmm. We can diagnose the problem. Yeah, absolutely. The second sort of category um, of what gets in the way is insecurity, which are what are the things I'm afraid of, consciously or unconsciously, that drive most of my behaviors, right? Most of the things we do, one of my favorite quotes that I haven't been able to figure out who says it, says everything we do in life either says, I love you or please love me. Mm. Everything. Everything that we, we are born to be oriented in the world that way. And I think about how many things I do in my life that says, please love me. You know, <laughs> please tell me that I'm worthy, that I'm enough, that I'm good, that I'm strong, that I've accomplished this, that I'm winning, whatever that narrative is for you or for me. And I think about how many of those fears can drive disconnection. You know, my fear of failure, my fear of rejection, my fear of embarrassment, how ashamed I feel of myself or the way that I am in the world. And those things, you know, don't drive me closer to people. <laughs> my fear of rejection is going to prevent me oftentimes from standing up for someone. Yep. My fear of embarrassment. I'm not going to put myself in the fray where someone might laugh at me. Yep. Sometimes my fear of failure prevents me from acting with people that I love the most because I'm worried I'm not going to quote unquote say the right thing or do the right thing. Mm. The last one is uh, in inconvenience, which is just uh, <laughs> to put it simply, like sometimes we just don't feel like it. Yeah. Kindness. Yeah. I think one of the most damaging narratives to kindness is that it's free. And growing up and working in schools, I see posters that and quotes and isms about kindness all the time that have this implication that kindness is simple or easy or free, like throw kindness around like confetti. And I get so frustrated with those posters because it, it, it's well-intentioned. I understand that. Yeah. But it also reduces kindness to this thing that is that people, if you're saying something is free, First of all, we have an internal reaction to that where, okay, it's simple, which means I don't need to allocate a ton of time or resources to actually improve at it. Yeah. If it's free, I can get it anytime I want or need. So we take it for granted. The other part of that is that it doesn't honor how hard it actually is. Yeah. You know, to truly be kind to someone, to your daughter's point, requires a profound amount of, of empathy, right? It right. requires discomfort. It requires us like having those conversations and it requires forgiveness, even when it's really inconvenient to me. Yes, yes. And if I'm not, if I don't think about kindness in that way, then I'm not going to allocate the right time and energy in my life to improve it. And I think inconvenience, if we look into the world, probably the biggest preventer of compassion is just that we're busy. Yep. Busy all the time. Our to-do list is forever long. And if we're not thoughtful about it, kindness is always something that we want to be, but it's never something that we're going to do because we have 10 other things in the way first. I'll go to bed at night exhausted, be like, ah, you know, tomorrow, or I could think about myself as a kind person. But if I never put any time behind kindness in a sort of consistent right. way, 
am I a kind person or am I just an email person? Because what we give our time to is what we value. Right. And if I can spend five hours a day on email and zero minutes a day on kindness, maybe I'm missing a component of what it means to actually live a kind life. I'm going to take a quick break from my conversation with Houston to thank our partners of the show. First, are you a loyal listener of this show? Have you ever wanted to sport some business with purpose swag? Well, guess what? You can now get my exclusive do something good with purpose on purpose tea through GoX. The design is incredible, but here's the thing. GoX believes in the power of purchase. They use a simple t-shirt to connect their customers with their apparel makers. GoX customers sustain fair wage jobs that liberate workers from poverty and empower them in their families and communities. They're proud to be a verified member of the Fair Trade Federation. Shop your exclusive business with purpose, sustainable, eco-friendly tea and more with purpose today at goxapparel.com forward slash Molly Stillman and use the code podcast 20 for 20% off. This episode is also in partnership with the Lemonade Boutique, a women's clothing with a cause store featuring ethically made and fair trade items from over 10 countries. Every item is made by women facing extreme challenges such as trafficking, poverty, and more. Your purchase empowers women to take life's lemons and make lemonade. Shop at thelemonadeboutique.com and listeners of the podcast can save 15% off while using the code PURPOSE15 at checkout. Now back to my chat with Houston. I feel like the the more I sit here and, and have this conversation, the deeper I'm just like, man, this is a conversation that our culture needs right now so, so badly. Because I think I've been, as somebody who is a deeply, like I am an empath. And so like mm-hmm. I feel other people's emotions and I struggle very deeply when I see other people hurting. And in our culture, there, people are really hurting right now. And there is yeah. a severe lack of kindness between grown adults. And mm-hmm. and it's been very disenfranchising uh, sure. to see and, and, and discouraging. But the thing that I think for me that I've tried to to do. And I don't know if it's a coping mechanism or I don't know if this is just I, I I've come to this conclusion that I'm like, you know what? The world is a broken place and there is a lot of hurt in the world. There's a lot of pain in the world. There's a lot of conflict and all of those negative things. Um, but there is a lot of beauty in the world and there is a lot of kindness that does exist. And what is within my own personal control? I can't control what the media does. I can't control what political candidates say. I can't control what other people do. But what I can control is how I react to it, how I then choose to go out and interact with the world, and how I choose to raise my children. That's what I can control. (laughs) Now, I can't control what my kids do, but I can do the best I can to model that. And so, um, you know, even if it is something as simple as, and I would be, I'd be curious to, to get your perspective on this, but like my husband jokes at and makes fun of me because like everywhere we go, if we are in a store or at a restaurant or, you know, wherever, if, if the person is wearing a name tag, I always call them by their name always without fail. And my husband just thinks it's hilarious because people are always like, 
thrown off. They're like, wait, do I know you? (laughs) And I'm like, no, you have have a name right there. And like I and but through that, I've developed friendships with like the people, the cashier at the grocery store that I see all the time and the uh, the gas station where I get my Diet Coke, like my boys, Muhammad and Pierre, shout out if they listen to this podcast, like they know they know me and they see me and they know my family and I know their families. And literally my only interactions with them are when I go to get my fountain Diet Coke at the gas station. Like I mean, but when we start to see each other as no longer as just the cashier at the gas station, but I can, you know, learn the Muhammad's story and meet his wife and his son and, you know, and how he came to this country and how he got this job and what he's doing to support his family. Like all these people have stories. Um, and so I, I'm I'm curious your perspective on what is really the biggest differentiator between the quote unquote, confetti kindness, which again, is not inherently bad. But what's the difference really between that and this deep, empathetic kindness? Uh, Listening, Mm. sacrifice, and discipline would be the three sort of categorical words I'd use to distinguish the two. Mm -hmm. A simple example, joke with my roommates sometimes, family members who you're like, I don't want blank for Christmas. But because they want to give it to you, they'll do it anyways. <laughs> and then they want a reaction from you, which is not necessarily a true gift. And I think we, you know, that using that as a micro example, we see that in the world all the time. One of the most frustrating stories I stumbled upon in writing the book about Newtown, Connecticut, after Sandy mm. Hook, after the shooting. Mm. People saw this tragedy and people wanted to be kind. But kindness without listening sometimes serves me more than it does the person that I'm trying to give kindness to. Case in point, people from all over the world sent teddy bears, stuffed animals. Hmm. So many, in fact, that Newtown had to rent a warehouse just to house all the inbound gifts. Hmm. And at the candlelit vigil, the guy that helped organize it was like, there was more stuffed animals there than there were people. And he goes, don't get me wrong, a teddy bear is great, but it doesn't pay for counseling and it doesn't pay for a funeral. Hmm. But guess what? The person who sent the teddy bear felt pretty good about what they were doing. And it's, it's not inherently bad, but in some ways, you know, even well-intentioned kindness can actually do harm. Oh, you know? absolutely. We have to honor that. Absolutely. The fact that all of a sudden Newtown has this logistical problem they're dealing with on top of this emotional trauma, they're having to deal with all these inbound stuff. It's like, what do we do with this? This is not what we actually need right now. Right. And I think we, without listening, we lose the, um, the empathy side of kindness. Hmm. Sacrifice is like, am I willing to actually do it with people that challenge me? And that's where I think sometimes confetti kindness is like, I'll do it with the people that want it or are willing to accept it or the people I already like, the people I already agree with. Right. But as soon as it, you know, people like, I love my family, you know, I'm a good person. But as soon as it moves beyond your circle of influence, the people who look like you, act like you, talk like you, it's a totally different story. Yep. So that's conditional kindness, which I wouldn't call kindness at all. It's being nice. It's being pleasant, but it's being two-faced. And then there's the discipline, which is sometimes we'll be kind when it's convenient to us. Yep. But if we don't make it a regular part of our life, then I would say we do kind things occasionally, but we're not a kind person, right? To be a thing, we have to repeatedly do lots of things consistently over time. We right. have to allocate consistent practice, right? You don't get to say I'm an engineer because I fixed one bike. Right. <laughs> right. But some people are like, I'm a kind person when they do the one day of service a year yeah. and they're like, 
I'm in, right? We're good. Yeah. But to use an example from my mom, she wrote me a lunch note every day in my lunch, K through 12. She wrote me a note every single day and it took her two minutes a day. So it's not a big thing on a daily basis, but an aggregate, it's the most profound act of love to date in my life mm. because it adds up. Yeah. Because those small things over time add up. And if we don't have the discipline to do something practically day in and day out, then I would say we're doing kindness, not being kind. Mm. Man. Man, that is so good. I love I love especially the the part about just the the sacrifice that's involved. Is sometimes being kind is not easy. In fact, if it no. was easy everybody would do it. And yeah. um yeah, <laughs> yeah and kindness there, was free, the world would be a much more kind place. It would just be a whole we would be in a very different spot than we're in right now, yeah. you know. A global commune. A glo- everybody <laughs> yeah. would be holding hands and singing Kumbaya. We'd all be wearing macrame vests and wearing flower crowns and it would be great. Um <laughs> just like but no, that's not the reality. And um, yeah, you're absolutely right. Is sometimes uh, what we think is helpful is not actually helpful. Um that reminds me, there's actually a really fantastic book that I recommend before anybody, anybody ever travels um, overseas to a developing nation to do any kind of service work. And that is um, the book When Helping Hurts. And it is, uh, I think it should be required reading. I think you should not be able to purchase a plane ticket to mm-hmm. anywhere outside of the United States if you're going to go do service work or even in the United States. To be honest, Um, if you're going to go do service work, you cannot do it without reading this book. And it just really talks about just this 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 idea and this reality of our well-intentioned actions have often a very negative impact and the difference between impact and intent. And um, you can go in and think you're going to be great for painting a school when the school wasn't actually in need of painting. Like, you know what I mean? There were plenty of skilled people that could have painted the school there themselves and gotten money for it. Anyway, that's a whole nother conversation for another day. But it's it, the case in point is just the yeah. ki- true kindness it involves sacrifice. Yeah. No, I, I don't think it is a different. I think it is the conversation in so many ways. It's yeah. like if if I get self-indignant when someone says this actually isn't what I need and you're like, well, I'm doing something good for you. Mm-hmm. You're like, we got it. We better pause right there. Yeah. Because if we're expecting something in return and we haven't bothered to ask if this is what they actually want in the first place, then you are asking for more kindness from them. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people will do it. You know, if even people in developing nations will be like, thank you so much. Yep. You know, it, it, and, and sometimes it's simply because they don't even know contextually, systemically what is needed in that moment. Yeah. Right. And so sometimes we show up and we do the flashy thing, but we've actually done more harm than good. And yeah. I think if we, um, there's a huge danger to believing I'm a kind person when in reality, I'm just being kind for myself. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. I could obviously talk to you about this for a really long time. Um, But if, you know, obviously the work that you're doing with Character Strong is really impacting so many millions of kids and and, and I'll be really interested to see kind of how this even changes and evolves as we kind of come out of the pandemic. I mean, my daughter's going to be in school virtually for the entire school year this year. They've already like we've yeah. already decided that that's already a thing in our where we live. Um, some kids are going back in person. Some are in this weird hybrid model, whatever. But, you know, to think that over half of my daughter's first two years of elementary school will be virtual. Like, what is it going to be like when she does go back in person 
and how will the ability to interact with other kids in the classroom and how does that change? What, what changes um, going forward? And same with all people who've been in isolation and kind of coming out of it. So I'll be really interested to kind of see in the future what, what changes. But, you know, if people are really interested in you know, bringing on character strong as far as like using your curriculums or connecting with you in some way, um, you know, what, how, how can they, how can they do that? Yeah. Well, character strong is characterstrong.com and we have a pre-K through 12th grade curriculum for schools. Uh, so we can, we work with individual buildings, we work with school districts. So if you're an educator, if you're an active parent or family member, um, yeah, feel free to reach out and see how we can work with your school or district. And then if you want a more personal <laughs> bent on it, then Deep Kindness uh, is the book that I've tried to take sort of what we've learned through teaching this stuff and then pull it out. How do we make this applicable for all of us? Because this yeah. is all of our work. Yeah. Uh, so deepkindness.com has some really cool conversations about kindness, obviously places you can buy the book. Uh, we have a journal that's like 30 days of practical actions and all kinds of good stuff there. I love it. Well, I'm definitely going to be getting the book. Um, I'm going to be encouraging my friends to get it uh, because, again, I think this is a conversation that is needed more than ever. Okay, Houston, before we go, a couple of things. One, we are going to do some get to know you questions. But before that, I would be remiss if I did not mention that your face was on a bag of Lay's potato chips. (laughs) <laughs> Can you tell me about how that came to be? Because when I learned that little fact, I was like, wait, his face was on Lay's potato chips? <laughs> yeah, I don't know how remiss we'd actually be, but I'm glad <laughs> we feel compelled. I mean, I uh, just think it's a fun fact. So It is a fun fact. It was a dream I didn't know I had. Yeah, sure. you know, I mean, I now have added something to my bucket list. So Sure. Yeah, I, 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 I literally met a guy uh, at a, an event here in California. Um, and we talked about what I did for work and stuff. And he was like, Oh, that's really cool. Three months later, apparently he'd gone home and told his girlfriend about it, who was a part of a marketing firm that lays hired to seek people in the country who did work that spread smiles. That was the prompt. And they brought in 40 people who had some, whatever it was, they yeah. did something that they thought spread smiles. And they brought me in. I took pictures for a day in Dallas and got to meet the whole team. And it was so, it was great. And I made it onto barbecue, which is legendary. Yes. on jalapeno and habanero, the small like gas station size. So well, it's pretty bummed. Jalapeno Lays bummed. are my favorite. So I'm just saying that's pretty, I probably ate a bag of chips with your face on it and I didn't even know True. it. I love it. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay. Houston, it's time for the get to yeah, know you right. round. Are you excited? Is that the first question? No. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Yes. Okay. (laughs) I love it. All right. Question number one. What song do you have to sing along with when you hear it? Like when it comes on, it's your jam. You know every word. Oh, I can't even think of the name right now, but I would swallow my pride. I would choke Choke on on the the ride. But the lack thereof would leave me empty empty inside. inside. Follow my doubt. Turn it inside out. out Find nothing but faith in nothing. Yes. Oh <laughs> man, what up on my tender? Hard in a blender. <laughs> Nothing Then I'm through with you. Yeah, yes. Oh my gosh, man. That song takes me back a minute. That is a throwback. I Good. I like it. <laughs> Excellent choice, Houston. Um, apparently, I also have to sing the song. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, here it goes. Oh gosh. Oh no, oh no, oh no. It's, it's, an, it's a, like it's a like. It's taking over. Yeah, it's taking over. 
Um, okay, when you get home, because I know you travel a lot for work, what is the first thing that you do when you get home? I feel like because so much of travel feels chaotic to me, mm-hmm. I feel like I have to get my my bag put away, which some people are like, you're a crazy person. And I'm like, no, yes. I need to be back into the, in order to feel home, I need to be unpacked. Yes, me too. I, there was actually um, a poll that was done. And it was like, there's no in between. It's like people either, when you get home from a trip, you either unpack everything right away or your suitcase will stay on your floors with stuff still in it for like a month. There's no in between. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. it's not like over the course of a few days. Like it's just like, yeah, it, you've been home a month and your suitcase is still like you're still pulling your toothbrush it's out. A binary. There. <laughs> yeah, there's two kinds of people in the world. Yeah. yeah, I'm an unpacker right away as well. So I can, yeah, I can't settle if my stuff is not like I need to start on yeah. my laundry every single time. I feel you. Yep. Okay. Um, if you had to eat the same meal for dinner every night rest of your life, what would it be? My mom's shrimp pasta. Ooh, is it like a like a spicy shrimp pasta, like a lemony garlic? Spi- a little on the spicier side. There's mushrooms, basil, garlic, uh, tomato sauce. Yeah, it's got a nice uh, sort of spiral pasta. Is the mm. best one to do it with. Mm, like a, zer- a certain good. a certain je, je ne sais quoi. <laughs> It has a certain Definitely. Um, now I'm hungry. Uh, that sounds delicious. Yeah, sorry, me too. Um, okay, what was your favorite movie to watch growing up? The Princess Bride. Yes, yes. Yeah. You, you keep Perfect on using blend of you, adventure, romance, comedy. You keep on using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. I do not think. <laughs> I did that whole monologue for an acting class. Yes, <laughs> yes. It's truly a classic. I'm trying to decide how old my kids have to be before I can show it to them. Yeah, they're close. They're close. I think because I was young when I watched it for the first time. But I remember the scene with the R.O.U.S.'s was scary. And then also the scene where he's in like the life sucking machine. I remember Mm -hmm. that one is pretty scary. Yeah. But other than that, I'm like, I feel like it would probably be fine. Yeah. So good. Um, Okay. (laughs) Um, What person in your life has influenced you the most? Uh, besides my parents, um, my co-founder, John, so yeah, he's been a huge role model. I love that. Mentor. I love it. And friend. All right. And then this is my last question that I ask all my guests and that is Houston, what does it mean to you to run a business with purpose? One of our favorite quotes internally at Character Strong is a Samuel Johnson quote. We need to be reminded more than instructed. Uh, and so to run a business with purpose, I think you need to constantly make sure we're realigning to that purpose. Mm. So we talk about it every week. We have character goals organizationally. So every week we check in on each other. We don't just have business goals. We measure how on track or off track we are with our character as well. And the things we say are important. We make practical, right? We make them real and we have accountability partners. And so, yeah, if we're not living the message, then we're missing the message. Mm. Mm, that's good. That's really good. Houston, this has been truly a pleasure. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for taking time out of what I know is a busy schedule to um, to just talk with me today. And I know that this conversation is going to um, really impact uh, a lot of people. So thank you so, 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 so much. You're welcome, Molly. My joy. Talk to you again sometime soon. Friend, I would love to know what you loved about this episode or something that you learned. If you do, let me know on social media. You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Business with Purpose Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. And don't forget to use that hashtag Business with Purpose Podcast. 
Another thank you to our partners of the show, Simple Switch, The Lemonade Boutique, Amazuma, and GoX Apparel. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're a first-time listener, welcome! Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring incredible entrepreneurs and business owners who are literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you're a regular listener, thank you for tuning in week in and week out and thank you for your support. Be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Radio Public, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you listen to your podcasts and click that subscribe button. Clicking that button helps to make sure you never miss a new episode. And while you're there, would you mind taking a moment to leave a review of the show? Leaving a review helps me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. This show is produced by the incredible team at Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening and go do something good with purpose on purpose. <laughs>